This is the VEASAN Daily Baseball Bets. Here is Adam Burke. Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Tuesday, August 1st edition of VEASAN Daily Baseball Bets. I'm your host, Adam Burke. Different version of the show here today, a trade deadline recap as we saw a flurry of deals come in right at the 6 p.m. Eastern trade deadline. Of course, I was on air doing a hit on Sharp Money, so a lot of it coming down all at once. Took some time to kind of catch up with that, but wanted to organize my thoughts here and get them out to you on today's podcast. Before I do that, I want to remind you, Thursday over at vcin.com, our 2023 college football betting guide will be out. The only way to get that is to become a vcin Pro subscriber. So check out our summer kickoff special. Check out our other subscription options over there at the website. And of course, quick reminder in terms of the NFL, if you're getting YouTube TV so that you can get Sunday ticket, get the Sports Plus package. That way you can watch VSIN 24-7 coverage of the Sports Betting Network on YouTube TV as part of that Sports Plus package. All right, one other thing I have to mention here at the top of today's show, due to a family emergency, I will not be doing the podcast here the rest of the week. Jeff Parles will pick it up on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday for you. Uh, the early part of next week still up in the air as well. Also, we'll not be doing the best bets article. Maybe I'll do tomorrow, uh, but I will not probably do Thursday or Friday. I guess we'll wait and see. Uh, it is kind of a fluid situation with this family matter that I have to tend to. But I just want to let you know, won't be doing the podcast here uh, to fill out the rest of the week. And I will try my best uh, to get the best bets article out to you. But I can't promise anything, uh, especially given the nature of of the family emergency situation that I do have going on here this week. So just want to mention that at the top of today's show here, I do apologize, but life happens and there are things that, um, you know, I, I need to tend to. So uh, I do apologize for that, but in any event, let's get to the trade deadline stuff that happened here. Again, a lot of deals happening pretty much right up against the horn. And one of the things I talked about on sharp money is that, you know, while it was an active deadline, there weren't a whole lot of splashy deals because once the Cubs and the Padres decided not to be sellers, you lost guys like Josh Hader, Blake Snell, Cody Bellinger, Marcus Stroman from that list of potential trade candidates and possibly even a Juan Soto. Who knows, given what the market looked like here. But when you lost Bellinger, you lost the best hitter on the board. And when you lost Snell, based on how he's pitched this year, you lost the best rental pitcher on the board as well. So we did see a lot of deals. We wound up seeing a lot of complimentary deals. We saw a lot of platoon bats kind of get acquired. We saw teams, you know, kind of get some relief help as well. Relief help, very, very important. Of course, you got the 26-man roster now. Um, you know, teams may have to use more of these piggybacks and openers and all these kinds of things to sort of monitor innings for younger starters. So we did wind up with a lot of, you know, uh, depth starter, depth reliever type of moves, stuff like that. So it is kind of hard to sort through all this stuff and sort of figure out who are the winners and who are the losers here from the trade deadline. But let's start with a few of the big trades first. Then we'll kind of tap into some of the other trades that I think are pretty important. And then, of course, take a look at the winners and the losers to kind of wrap this up a little bit here. Uh, the live blog over at vcin.com did the best I could with updating that. As I mentioned, a lot of the trades came down uh, as I was on Sharp Money. So, you know, had to take a little bit of time to kind of catch up with that. But Again, let's start with the big deals that we saw, and I think none bigger than Justin Verlander going back to the Houston Astros for Drew Gilbert and Ryan Clifford, two of the top prospects 
in the Astros organization here. So they reunite with Verlander, of course, the reigning American League Cy Young Award winner. Uh, and you know, look, in terms of this trade, you know, a couple of things. First is, you know, Verlander, the big thing for him, and I've talked about this in the daily write-ups, big strikeout percentage decrease for this season. However, he's doing a really good job of preventing home runs. So he's kind of offset the hurt from the strikeout decrease by not allowing as many long balls. I would think that going back to Houston, being back with those pitching coaches, that staff, all of that, I well, I guess Brent Strom isn't there anymore, but I would think that Verlander probably finds some more strikeouts. Uh, also, Minute Maid Park can be a pretty good pitcher's park, particularly when the roof is closed. So Verlander possibly going to be able to continue to have some pretty good numbers here for this season, even if the strikeout rate doesn't tick back up. But you got the Astros now a minus 130 favorite to win this division, and they are the short shot of the American League teams at 7-1 to one to win the World Series. I do think it's a really nice return for the Mets. Also for the Mets, in looking at moving Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander here, does that increase the chances? Does that increase the likelihood of them making Shohei Otani an offer that he can't refuse in free agency, where they just freed up a lot of money for next year? Now, money is not an option to Stephen Cohen, but at the same time, kind of the principle of paying the luxury tax and the competitive balance tax and all these types of things, you know, freeing up some of that money, some of those resources for next season definitely makes a lot of sense. And speaking of that Scherzer deal, I guess I didn't really talk too much about that on the podcast here because it was something that came down over the weekend. But, you know, with the Scherzer trade to the Rangers, you know, Luis Angel Acuna coming over to the Mets in that one that is Ronald Acuna Jr.'s brother, you know, Scherzer, if you ask me, I'd rather have Verlander than have Scherzer, to be totally honest with you. Scherzer, a lot of those soft tissue injuries, I know the strikeout rate has been down for Verlander and it's been relatively okay for Scherzer, but I just feel like Verlander is probably a safer bet, despite the fact that he had Tommy John surgery not that long ago. So we'll see how Scherzer fits in with the Rangers. The Rangers, of course, losing Nate Uvalde right before the trade deadline. So that's a pretty significant loss for them. But the two big pitchers there, Scherzer and Verlander, on the move uh, from the Mets here at the trade deadline. Uh, another trade that came down pretty close to the wire here, Baltimore getting Jack Flaherty from the Cardinals. They didn't really give up a whole lot here for a two-month rental of Flaherty. Now, Flaherty is a guy who had a walk rate problem earlier on in the season, so that's not really as much of an issue now at this point in time. And for Flaherty, it's also one of those things where he goes to a team that's doing a really, really good job of developing pitchers, of maximizing skill sets for their pitchers. You know, they've taken some guys like a Kyle Bradish, really cut down his walk rate, improved his strikeout rate, turned him into a really, really quality pitcher, a well above average starter. Flaherty's got some pretty good numbers in terms of his contact management for this season as well. Baltimore now 12 to 1 to win the World Series. Uh, the Rays are 8 to 1. So the Orioles behind the Astros, Rays, Rangers in terms of American League odds to win the World Series. And they are plus 110, right? Or plus 115, excuse me, right alongside Tampa Bay to win that East Division. Tampa Bay not really doing as much here at the trade deadline, really not doing a whole lot of anything, to be totally honest with you. Pretty quiet deadline for them. They made a few smaller moves. Uh, they did trade Luis Patino today, kind of giving up on him a little bit. Other than that, I mean, they picked up Adrian Sampson. He's a guy who can be a bulk reliever for them. We know they like those kinds of guys. They just traded Yanni Chirinos. 
But the Rays did pick up Aaron Savale, and this was a really interesting trade, I think, both ways, where Cleveland, at the time, just a half game out of the playoff chase, and they trade away Savale, who's been phenomenal this season. Really, really good. 11 starts since coming off the injured list, 224 ERA. He's been great here in the month of July, or was great in the month of July. But at the same time, he's a guy who has a questionable health history. So the Rays banking on health, which I think is interesting because while they've done really good developing pitchers, they haven't done so good keeping pitchers healthy. Guys like Tyler Glass now, um, you know, you had uh, Blake Snell wound up with some issues a little bit later on in his career, in his Rays tenure as well. Brent Honeywell, some of their prospects, Anthony Banda type guys, stuff like that. They've had a hard time keeping guys healthy. A lot of Tommy John in the system here for the Rays, not to mention Jeffrey Springs, and of course the long-term injury for Drew Rasmussen. So we'll see what happens here if Savali is able to stay healthy. Cleveland picking up Kyle Manzardo, who probably won't have too much of an impact for them here this season. He's coming back from a shoulder strain, missing some time at AAA, uh, but he's been a great hitter in the minor leagues at other levels and is actually a top 40 prospect in baseball. So Cleveland, you know, I think it's kind of hard to look at their deadline in a vacuum because they're trying to thread the needle between, you know, attempting to win the central division this year while also reshuffling the deck for future seasons. And they pick up, you know, a guy like uh, Menzardo, who's a really, really good hitter. You know, there's a lot of good things said about his prospect report, his scouting report. People say he rakes. People say he's just a really, really good hitter. So that's something that's an interesting thing for them. And then, of course, they also wind up making a move here today, trading away Josh Bell. So they send Josh Bell to the Marlins. They pick up Khalil Wilson, a former first-round pick in that deal. Also Gene Segura, but they wind up releasing Segura right away. Uh, that was just a cash transaction there, basically, between the Guardians and the Marlins. So it looks like they're giving up on the season, moving, you know, moving on from a guy like Bell. But look, to me, I don't really think that we can call it that. I, I just look at them and I say, you know what? This isn't that good of a team. I don't think it made a lot of sense for them to put, you know, substantial resources towards going for it this season. But I think looking long term, it is a move that ultimately does kind of help them out a little bit. So I kind of like what they did at the deadline. But, you know, again, with them being in such close proximity to the playoffs, a lot of people are going to look at this and say you know, that they're one of the losers of the trade deadline. But I don't really think that's the case here uh, just because of the nature of the moves that they wound up making. As far as some of the other deals that came down here today specifically, a lot of reliever deals, a whole lot of reliever deals, but one that was not, Tommy Pham going to Arizona. The cart or the Diamondbacks, excuse me, have been a below average offense against lefties throughout the course of the season. Pham is a guy hitting very well overall this year. 268 average, 348 on base, 472 slugging, 10 homers on the year. Eight of those 10 homers against lefties, and he has a 136 WRC plus in that split. So 36% better than league average for fam this season against lefties and for his career, 32% better than league average. So the diamondbacks really looking to fill a hole in terms of their performance against lefties. And I think they do that here uh, with this acquisition of fam. I think one of the better deals here of the actual trade deadline day, as far as some of the other deals that went down today, Michael Lorenzen goes to the Phillies an above-average starting pitcher, having a good season. We'll see how sustainable that is for him, but the lone all-star from the Tigers, 358 ERA, 408 expected, 388 FIP. Last five starts, he's got like a 115 ERA. 
the Tigers picked up a pretty good hitter. They picked up how you Lee a uh, top five prospect in the Philadelphia system. It's a good deal for the Tigers because they've done a fairly decent job developing pitching. If they could keep it healthy, they'd be in much better shape, but getting bats is what they really need to prioritize here. And Lee seems like a pretty good offensive prospect for them. So I think that's a nice little move uh, for the Tigers here today, who again, you know, once another trade deadline goes by where they wind up being a seller. So, you know, it's always a difficult thing to be in that situation, but that's where the Tigers have found themselves here quite a bit. I'll circle back to some deals that happened prior to today in a minute, but just rolling through some of the others here, the Yankees picked up Keenan Middleton and Spencer Howard. They got a couple of relievers. Uh, the Rangers picking up backup catcher Austin Hedges. That's a good move with Jonah Heim potentially out for the rest of the season. The Rangers are getting a an elite defensive catcher in and Hedges can't hit worth shit, but he's an elite defensive catcher, and that is something that does help when you get to the postseason. Uh, the Padres they wound up being buyers. You know, as I mentioned at the top of the show. They kind of dictated a lot of the trade market by not moving guys like Snell, like Hayter, uh, possibly could have moved a Juan Soto, somebody like that. But instead, they wound up being buyers, and they picked up a pretty good reliever in Scott Barlow, who does have a 535 ERA, but a 383 expected ERA, 363 FIP on the season. So you got to like the advanced metrics, at least there, uh, for Barlow. And you know, for the Padres, I see DraftKings has taken down odds to make the playoffs as we're in the throes of tonight's games, but the Padres certainly helped themselves. You know, I mean, they're 0 and 10 in extra inning games. They're six and I think 18 or six and 19 in one run games. So it makes sense for them to wind up getting some help here. And not only did they get Barlow, they also picked up Rich Hill and G-Man Choi from the Pirates. So in Choi, they get a guy who can play first base, can DH a little bit, can be used in some of those platoon situations. And for Hill, just some you know, insurance in terms of the pitching staff. Michael Waka still out. Hill should slot right into that rotation until Waka comes back. When Waka comes back, Hill can be a piggyback, a bulk guy, a reliever. He could be any one of those things. And San Diego at the time, prior to the Barlow deal, they were in the plus 280 range to make the playoffs. So still a long shot-ish, but a team that did really help themselves here, I think, today uh, with some of the deals that they made. And again, you know, for Arizona, I mean, Arizona picking up fam, making a couple of other moves here and there. You know, they got Jace Peterson to replace uh, Josh Rojas, who they traded as a utility guy on uh, Sun on Monday night. Excuse me. You know, they picked up Paul Seawald. I think that was a really good deal from the Mariners. They kind of bolstered the back end of their bullpen. That was a good move for the Diamondbacks. But ultimately, you know, I think the Diamondbacks, the Giants and the Padres are all flawed teams. So it makes sense that they would all kind of do the best that they can here at the trade deadline to sort of improve their standing a little bit. Let's take a short break here on Visa and Daily Baseball Bets and wrap up some of the deals from the previous days and look at the winners and the losers along with some updated odds. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. 
The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, back here on VEASAN Daily Baseball Bets. Please make sure you rate, review, subscribe. Five-star reviews, very, very much appreciated here for this and all of the shows in our VEASAN family of podcasts. Really interesting development today with Eduardo Rodriguez. So the Tigers left-hander, the Tigers came to an agreement with the Dodgers for Eduardo Rodriguez, but the Dodgers, one of 10 teams on his no-trade list, and he opted to decline the chance to waive his no-trade clause. So the Dodgers moved on. They picked up Ryan Yarborough from the Royals, who missed a bunch of time after getting hit in the face by a comebacker. Yarborough, 424 ERA, 429 FIP. Lowest home run to fly ball percentage of his six-year career, so that's nice. But a really interesting development there with Rodriguez not willing to leave the Tigers. Now, again, the Dodgers were on his no-trade clause list for a reason. Also, he missed some time last year with an off-the-field issue. Um, You know, maybe he's just more comfortable in Detroit, didn't want to leave, didn't want to start over again, something like that. I'm sure that fans won't be super respectful of that decision, especially because, as I mentioned already, the Tigers have big offensive needs, and I presume whatever that deal was included some hitters from the Dodgers system. But Rodriguez got that no-trade clause. The Tigers have nobody to blame but themselves. A couple of other deals here. The Cubs got Heimer Candelario last night. Probably the best rental hitter on the board here. 258 ERA or 258 batting average, excuse me. 342 on base, 481 slugging. Cubs are still a long shot to win that division. They're actually plus 650 now with the Brewers making a few deals. The Reds largely being quiet, but they are the co-favorites at plus 110 there for that division. So not a whole lot getting done between um, you know the Reds and all the suitors that they had as they were looking for pitching help Didn't really find any. The Brewers picked up Andrew Chafin, a nice left-handed reliever for them. They also picked up some help against lefties uh, on the offensive side of the ledger as well. And that's something that, you know, the Brewers certainly needed. They've been a lot better against lefties throughout the course of the season here. But for the full season, they're not great. They pick up Mark Canna, a guy that's hit lefties pretty well throughout the course of his career. And, you know, another guy that the Mets wound up trading away uh, here at the trade deadline. One more deal to mention, and then we'll get into some winners and losers here. Uh, that Angels deal with the Rockies, C.J. Crone and Randall Gritchick for the Angels. Mike Trout is hurt. Taylor Ward hit in the face. He's out for a while. So it was kind of out of necessity for the Angels to get some more guys into that lineup that have a little bit of upside. Uh, are Crone and Gritchick the guys to get? Well, your view may vary. I mean, Gritchick is a guy who's hit lefties very well throughout his career. Crone, typically kind of a platoon guy, also back now with the Angels, a team they spent some time with. So 
that's a pretty interesting thing. Gritchick, I believe, did as well. Uh, so an interesting trade there for the Angels where, again, I mean, they needed to do something, and they did. When they opted to be buyers and say they weren't trading Shohei Otani, they had to figure something out, and that's what they wound up doing. So we'll see how those moves work out for them long term. But let's start with the losers of the trade deadline first here. And the one thing I want to mention is I think a lot of people will call the Reds trade deadline losers, but Hunter Green is expected to be activated on August 17th and come back on August 20th, and Nick Lodolo expected to come back the last week of August. So as long as they can survive the next three weeks, they'll get Green back, and then they'll get Lodolo back a week later. And that doesn't cost you anything. You don't have to trade anything from your minor league system to get guys back off of injury, and those will be fresh, high upside arms in green and Lodolo. So I don't really hate it. I I'm perfectly fine with what the reds did. Also, there's something to be said about not going all in for your chance here this season, where when you look up in the national league and you see the Dodgers and the Braves, you know, I mean, yeah, it'd be great to make the playoffs and get some of that playoff revenue and, you know, the attendance windfall and all of that kind of thing. But at the expense of guys in your system, when you're really building up something special to be a long-term contender in that division, I don't have a problem with that. You know, I'm, I'm not always go for it guy, because I think there are situations where it makes sense. I think the Padres, it makes a ton of sense for them to do whatever they can to go for it because they have all those guys signed to a lot of long-term deals. And and the, the time is now they aren't building towards something like the Reds are. The Padres are supposed to be winning right now. The Mets were supposed to be winning right now. So I think what they did makes a lot of sense, and I'll get back to them in a second here. But as far as, excuse me, some trade deadline losers that I think just didn't really do enough, I don't think Toronto did enough. I I think the Blue Jays really should have gone out there and did a little bit more. Now, they picked up Paul DeJong today uh, because Bo Bichette, Messed up his leg last night. Seems like it's not that serious of an injury. DeJong is a guy who's a really, really good defensive shortstop. The bat kind of comes and goes. They picked up Jordan Hicks, which is fine, but I would have liked to have seen them get a little bit more starting pitching depth into the equation here. So I was kind of disappointed with the trade deadline that they had. I, I understand that to some degree, they're looking at this lineup and saying, you know what? A lot of this production has to come from within, but Look, I mean, this is a team barely on the cut line in terms of the wild card chase. And this is also a team at six and a half back in this division. And there is great equity in winning divisions, particularly when you're in the American League East and you're going to be one of the teams to get a buy. There is a lot of benefit to that, especially when your starting rotation, in my estimation, is a little bit shallow beyond Kevin Gossman. So I thought the Blue Jays could have done more. I would have liked to have seen them do more. Now, you could also say when you look at the Blue Jays lineup, what were they going to do? You know, who would they replace in that starting lineup on a daily basis? That's definitely a realistic thing to kind of take a look at. And I guess they got Hunjin Ryu back from the IL. So maybe that's kind of their starter that they're bringing in. But, you know, Genesis Cabrera doesn't move the needle for me. I do like Hicks. uh, So, you know, there is that. But I would have liked to have seen the Blue Jays be a little bit more aggressive here, and and they weren't. So I think to some degree, I consider them a little bit of a loser because I don't know how good this team is. And, you know, they probably should, based on the talent level on this roster, be closer to Tampa Bay and Baltimore. 
and they're not. So I thought the Blue Jays really could have done more here at the trade deadline. I also think the Yankees in that same division are a loser as well. I mean, they did nothing. And and I realize that you're three and a half games out of the wild card. You're 10 games out in the division. It's it. Look, it's Aaron Judge carrying this team. And when he's able to carry this team, they're pretty good. And when he's not, we've seen what they look like. I would have liked to have seen this team do a little bit more here, whether it was buying or selling. I think there's a very reasonable case to be made to actually do some selling with this roster because in its current state, it's simply not good enough. And there are some impending free agents here on this team. Kiner Falefa is a guy that could have went. Harrison Bader is a guy that you could have moved. Wandy Peralta would have gotten you a very nice return if you were willing to move him. So when I look at the Yankees and when I look at what they did here at the trade deadline, there's nothing worse at the trade deadline than not buying or not selling. And the Yankees largely stood pat. Yeah, they got Keenan Middleton and they got Spencer Howard. They got a couple of of back-end, low-leverage relief types of guys. But to me, I guess it's a team that needed to do something a little bit more interesting, do something a little bit deeper of moving a Kiner Falefa, of moving a Bader, of moving a Wandy Peralta, of maybe even thinking about, you know, doing something. And I, I know that, you know, injuries have definitely been a factor and there's really not a whole lot that you can do with him, but moving a Clay Holmes, you know, I mean, are, what are the chances that you keep Clay Holmes after next season? Very, very low. So a team could make a move for a controlled relief pitcher, a back-end guy at that. Why wouldn't you think about doing that? Or move it Domingo Herman. I know that, you know, there are some injury concerns in his profile, and there's some PR baggage that comes along with him as well. But another guy, you know, he's ARB3 next year, free agent the year after. That's not a guy that you're keeping. And this isn't a team built to win much of anything, I don't think, here come playoff time. So I think the Yankees are a loser. I would have been a seller. Again, I think the worst thing that you can do at the deadline is nothing. I think you have to sell or you have to buy. Or if you are trying to thread the needle, some combination of both. The Yankees did nothing. So I think the Yankees are definitely a loser here at the trade deadline. And look, I mean, when you look at kind of the bubble here, when you look at the fact that you know, I mean, Boston didn't really do a whole lot either. They didn't exactly get better or worse. And, you know, kind of shame on them for that as well. But, you know, the Angels got better. The Mariners are playing better. You know, all these other teams that they're chasing down seem to be improved to some degree. So to do nothing, I don't get it. I, I really don't get it. So the Yankees and the Blue Jays, two teams that I think are losers here at the trade deadline. And one other team that I think probably should have done some more. And, you know, I don't really know what they could have done, but for the Chicago Cubs, yeah, they, you know, they get Candelario. And I'm, I'm not going to call them a, a trade deadline loser here. They get Candelario, they get Jose Quas, a little bit of relief help uh, towards the back end of their bullpen. But if you're going to take Cody Bellinger off the market and you're going to take Marcus Stroman off the market, you've got to be more aggressive. You know, the Angels took Shohei Otani off the market, and they were aggressive. They get Dominic Leone. They get CJ Crone. They get Randall Gritchick. They get Lucas Giolito. They get Reynaldo Lopez. You know, they went out there and actually tried to do something. The Cubs just took their players off the market and then largely did very little. I mean, Candelario may end up being, you know, a pretty valuable piece for them. I guess we'll kind of have to wait and see, and maybe I'm being a little bit too harsh 
about that move. He's playing first base here tonight for them. So not just playing third and, you know, maybe he'll wind up being a really good player, but I, I do wish that the Cubs maybe would have done a little bit more here. Uh, and I don't have any numbers for them to make the playoffs. As I mentioned, they are plus 650 to win this division, and they do have a lot of ground to try and make up as they entered play tonight five games back of the Cincinnati Reds. All right, so let's talk about some winners here at the trade deadline. And quite frankly, people don't want to hear this, I don't think, but I think maybe the biggest winner of the trade deadline is the New York Mets. They got out from under what could have been a couple of very difficult pitching contracts next season and carrying on over into the following season with Verlander and Scherzer. You know, I I understand the thought process. I understand that they were in win-now mode, and it didn't work out. But they didn't let it fester. They didn't sit there and say, oh, you know what? Well, we'll just hold on to those guys and have them for next year and try to run it back with this same team and, you know, expect a different result. They decided not to do that. They went out there and really improved their farm system quite significantly. And that's something that they needed. I mean, they get a guy in Acuna who... I don't he doesn't have the ceiling of his brother by any means, but it's obviously in the bloodline that he may end up being a pretty good player. They get a top 50 prospect in Drew Gilbert from Houston, who was the number one prospect in their organization. Ryan Clifford, I know MLB Pipeline was going to have him second in that Houston organization. He's only 20 years old, corner player in the outfield and the infield who will go to high A. But I really, really like what the Mets did here. You know, they recognize that. This is largely a lost season for them, and they tried to capitalize on a seller's market, and I think they did a pretty good job. One of the things that's a big-time problem with these you know, lofty payroll teams is they're very active in free agency, and they're not active in terms of spending on their infrastructure. You know, They're out there trying to buy proven players instead of create them. Well, I like that they said, you know what? This isn't a good year for us. We've had some positives, Francisco Alvarez, Brett Beatty, Mark Vientos, you know, Kodai Senga looks really, really good. That looks like a good gamble coming over from Japan, but they realized, hey, you know, this group, we can't really do it. And so let's get an infusion of talent into our system. And now they picked up two of the top 60 prospects, according to fan graphs uh, over these deals here with Acuna and also Gilbert. So I think the Mets a big winner here at the trade deadline just by simply being aware of their situation. Maybe this has to do with, you know, Cohen's history in the financial markets and all of that, but I think they're a big winner here. I I really like the moves that they made, the decisions that they made. I think very, very sound uh, in their decision-making process. And they also picked up a 17-year-old shortstop in Jeremy Rodriguez where you never know. You know, you never know what those guys are going to look like. So I like the trade deadline quite a bit here for the New York Mets. Now, obviously, it doesn't help in terms of their prospects for the playoffs this season, which is typically the function, you know, of being a team involved at the trade deadline. But because of where they are, they I think they made the right decision here. And I think, you know, Texas is a pretty big winner at the trade deadline here as well. So I don't love Max Scherzer long term. I don't know how it's going to work out, but I am a big Jordan Montgomery fan. I think Jordan Montgomery is a dramatically underrated pitcher. I think that's a really, really good pickup for them. Again, it's unfortunate that it comes kind of at the expense of Nate Uvalde with him going on the IL. But I do like that Texas went out there and and did some things to kind of bolster 
that starting rotation. The one area where I think they failed is I think they needed more help in the bullpen. But remember, while it wasn't a trade deadline move, they did pick up a role as Chapman, and he's come out there and been very, very effective for them uh, here in his Rangers tenure. Also, I think Austin Hedges, I mean, look, Cleveland made the playoffs with Austin Hedges last year, and I realize it's very difficult to have a guy who's just a zero offensively, but when this Texas lineup is healthy, and Corey Seager will come back in the not-too-distant future, when this Texas lineup is healthy, they have a bunch of guys that can produce and can create offense. That was the problem with Cleveland. They didn't have a good offense. So playing a guy like Hedges was really detrimental to them. With Texas, they can afford to play a no-bat guy. I mean, the Astros have done it for a long time with Martin Maldonado. So when you have the opportunity to play with defense like that, I think that's a good move for Texas. And again, I do like them getting Jordan Montgomery quite a bit. And it's hard to argue with you know picking up a guy like Max Scherzer. Obviously, they had to do some things with his contract situation and all that to get him in the fold. But, look, I think Texas and the Mets, two two winners here at the trade deadline in terms of the decisions that they made. Uh, I like sporadic deals. I mean, look, I, I think Arizona, we could call them a little bit of a winner as well, getting Tommy Pham and then also getting Paul Seawald. Should they have gotten a starting pitcher? Yeah, they probably should have, and that'll be something that gets talked about for a long period of time. But, you know, look, I mean, they're they're buying on Brent Strom. They're buying on, you know, kind of piggybacking this thing together. They have a very deep bullpen now. So I guess that's kind of what they're looking at. So I wouldn't call them a winner, but I do think they're closer to the winner spectrum than the loser side. So the big losers for me here, Toronto and New York, the winners for me, uh, the, the losers, the Blue Jays and the Yankees, let me specify. The winners here, I really like what the Mets did at this trade deadline. And I also think that what Texas did made a lot of sense as well. So as I said at the top of the show, I will not be doing the podcast here for the rest of the week. Jeff Parles will take over for me. uh, And we'll see about next week with that family emergency situation that I am tending to. So appreciate your patience with this podcast. I know it's late. A lot of you will hear this on Wednesday morning, but it's a very tough day, you know, with the trade deadline and everything that's going on, all the moving parts. So thought this was the best way to do it. You may disagree, but trade deadline recap up live blog up over at vcin.com. And I'll have some finishing thoughts in that blog uh, here for the rest of this evening. So thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again soon on vcin daily baseball bets. At bed, three, six, five, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar, whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleha Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. 
In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.